0: There is some kind of like grand narrative that exists that this is a part of, that this is, this is echoing and this is referencing or as or a, a hint of, kind of has gripped me at different moments. And I, I think that's what really good art does, at least for me, that might be one of the metrics of whether or not you call something a favorite piece of
1: art or not. Welcome to The Habit Podcast conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Dave and Leisha Radford constitute the husband-wife duo, The Grey Havens. Their new album, Blue Flower, is inspired by C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy, and explores Lewis's idea of inconsolable longing and every human's homesickness for a place we haven't been yet. I was able to catch up with Dave Radford for this episode of The Habit Podcast. Dave Radford, I'm so glad that you were able to come on the Habit Podcast and talk about your new record, The Blue Flower. Thanks so much for having me. The Blue Flower, or just Blue Flower? Blue Flower. Okay, so not the. Sorry, it's all right. I, I, I'm <laughs> on a losing streak. I've, I've been getting people's titles wrong, episode after episode of the Habit Podcast. It's all good.
0: Yeah, the it it can be confusing.
1: <laughs> all right, so this uh, you call this record uh, Blue Flower. Um. After uh, a very somewhat obscure remark in uh, in "Surprised by Joy," C.S. Lewis's book, where he yeah. describes himself as a votary of the blue flower, That's right. which I went for a long time without not having any idea what he was talking about. Yeah. Uh, so tell it, uh, Tell me about this. Right. So I the small blue flower. And- yeah.
0: So the story is we were. Um, It was spring of 2019. My wife and I were, who I'm in the band with, uh, my wife, Alicia, uh, we were on the road and I was trying to think of a a concept album that I could, or something I could get inspired to write for when we got back from tour. And I was sort of dreading getting back from tour because I knew when I get back from tour, I'm going to have to come up with a new... It's, it's just like start to process all over again. The usual process is, you know, you you write an album, you record the album, you book the tour, you go on the tour, you play the tour, you come home, you write the album, and, and uh, it's kind of... Talking like know. the
1: donuts.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's the process. And so I was a bit um, concerned that, you know, when I got back home to write uh, to a blank page... You know, I, I'm not much of a, a diary entry writer. Typically, I try to find something uh, conceptual that I can get excited about and, um, you know, chase down. Because if it was just diary entry stuff, I think it'd just be more like, I'm tired. <laughs> Where's the coffee? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, my child is screaming. Um, so, So, I remember when I was on tour... About halfway through the tour, a book recommendation from a a friend of mine, um, Joe Rigney, actually he's a, he's a, I think he's, he's a president now over at, um, Bethlehem college and seminary in Minneapolis, but he had a few years back, we were playing a show there and he had recommended that I read planet Narnia. Have you read Mm -hmm. that book?
1: Yeah. I've actually had Michael Ward on this podcast before.
0: Have you really? Okay. Uh So I'd love to meet him one day. Um, I read the book while I was on tour, and I was really fascinated by his premise, which is, yeah. if you've if you never read the book, it's just basically, he, he tries to make the case that Lewis archetypes each of his seven Chronicles of Narnia books after one of the seven planets in the medieval planetary system. And it's all very nerdy, but incredibly fascinating. And I think he's right. I don't know how I, he felt. I,
1: I did not plan on being convinced by by that book, and I was.
0: Yeah. So... I'm sitting here reading this book really fascinated and like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe I could do something around this theme. So fast forward, I, I go home, I'm thinking I'm going to write something in the Narnia, you know, kind of something like that in that world. And I'm creating all these, these um, sketches of songs and I would go on a C.S. Lewis reading binge. So I read all the Chronicles. We're moving at this point where we're packing up our house. And I'm like, Audible is on constantly. Yeah, right. So I, I listen through the Narnia and I read them like five to seven times all in a row. Just mm-hmm. like try to get in that, in that world. And then I read a lot of his other stuff. And at the end of the reading binge, I thought, you know, I'll just read his autobiography because... Um, for, for due diligence. You know, i would read a couple of other biographies and I just wanted to hear from his own kind of side of things, you know, what his, his life was like. So I to get a few chapters in and I stumble across that sentence that you referenced um, regarding the blue flower. And the basic premise of his, his surprise by, well, the, his surprise by joy is his autobiography, kind of looking back on his life up until he's about 30-ish, through the lens of his experience with joy so this kind of really important experience or emotion that he encounters throughout his life with varying degrees of frequency you know it's like, it's like he describes it as an unsatisfied desire more desirable than any satisfaction and it hits him um, in unexpected places, you know, music, yeah. literature, nature,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all these things. And at six years old, he talks about his first experience with it. He's look, he's born in Ireland. He's looking over these green hills and he, this enormous sense of longing kind of mm-hmm. hits him. And he says, there was at six years old, a votary of the blue flower. And just like you, when I hit that sentence, I was kind of like, what, mm-hmm. what is, what is this referring to? And it seemed like, a hyperlink to something that I, I should know about because he he never talks about it the only other reference he makes to it is in the epilogue of pilgrim's regress which is kind of the his autobiography a little bit in in fiction form and so i i don't know if it was at that moment when i read the sentence that i googled it or if it was later yeah. you know what is the blue flower right. and it was it had been used as a symbol for uh, this experience that Lewis is having or Zenzug, this kind of like intense longing. And it's been used in German literature or that's where it originated, I think in the 1800s or something. I'm out of my depth there. I can't yeah, really right. like, yeah. yeah, I have no idea, but, but that's what he's referring to. Mm-hmm. So as I continue to read his autobiography more and more, this image of the blue flower, stood forth in my mind as the sort of symbol and icon of joy, this experience that he keeps talking about. I thought, well, just for whatever reason, that gripped me more than my other concept idea. So everything sort of shifted and that became kind of the foreground. And then all the other stuff that I had been toying with kind of became the ornamentation for it. Hmm. So in a sense, the two concepts were sort of interwoven, but the blue flower um, was, became the main theme of the yeah. album.
1: Yeah. You know, one, one of the things about Lewis is that whatever you're reading, whether it's his fiction or it's nonfiction or his, his autobiography, these same themes keep showing up, you know, I, yeah. the um, I, I'm, I'm listening to, um, uh, the, the ransom trilogy. Now I'm actually on that hideous strength. And, uh, um, I
0: would be very curious just as a, just from a selfish personal, uh, question. I could not stomach that book. That and hideous I'm, strength. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's it,
1: That has been my least favorite of the,
0: of the, yeah. uh, the three. I read it through out of sure devotion to this, yeah. uh, Lewis reading binge. I was, I was trying to do.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, like for instance, he he talks in there about the idea, or or actually in one of those, one of the three, it, may, it may not be that hideous strength, but but the idea that the immensity of the universe, you know, is somehow supposed to be evidence that we're mean that our life is meaningless, right? You no, know, which comes up in in surprise by joy, you know, that, that even when when he was a schoolboy, as he as he came to terms with how big the universe was, that very immensity somehow, you know, felt like meaninglessness. Yeah. And these these ideas just come up over and over again. I mean, well, one of his
0: friends talks about how there's a quote. It's, it's a clever quote. And I don't know if I can do it verbatim, but it's just like what he wrote intrinsic in, in what he wrote about anything was what he thought about everything. mm -hmm. And you, you get this sense that, well, especially this, this theme of, of, longing, I, I would say it's almost his main argument mm. for the existence of God. Right. I mean, he goes through lots of different arguments in his book, Mere Christianity, or, Christianity, or like, mm. I don't know all the books, The Problem of Pain and Essays and Things, but it seems like the most compelling one to him is the argument from desire, yeah. which is if I find in myself a desire for which nothing on this earth can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I'm made for another world. Yeah. And that more than almost any other author, somebody smarter than me was talking about uh, is prevalent in his, in his writing from his prose, his fiction, his, his poetry, it weaves itself in yeah. to, to all the different corners of his, of his thinking on any topic.
1: Yeah. So here, here's, here's a question I have for you, Dave. In, uh, obviously the idea of joy is, is the theme of the writing, you know, like that's a theme you're pursuing in this, this project, but um, not so much as a matter of here's subject matter I'm going to write about. What was this idea of joy or of, of an, of an unfulfilled longing that's, that's um, more satisfying than the satisfaction of the longing could be if I'm saying that right how does that inform the way you think about writing art making like what's the relationship between joy and just the work you and least you do
0: yeah i that's a good question i have, well the the previous album that we wrote and recorded uh called she waits mm-hmm. was sort that of record by the way thank you was, was sort of in in a similar category in that it's looking forward to and anticipating some kind of um it's a heaven themed record mm-hmm. and so so and in that is is a lot of longing for that reality
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so so that almost feels like the sequel to blue flower where uh, blue flower is the sort of pre pre prequel like where it's Mm -hmm. it's it's the wrestling through where does this come from to begin with Mm -hmm. and then the she waits one is knowing where it comes from and longing to to be there and so i feel like they're not two sides of the same coin but but what 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 that i think an answer to your question would be I I think I've felt that emotion a lot and it resonates with me. I think maybe not to the intensity or degree that it resonated with Lewis, but that, that desire in me um, has been really strong and, and something I can relate to. And so I think any artist naturally, you know, uh, injects into their art you know their their deepest sort of uh, tendencies or what you know desires or, mm-hmm. or ways they view the world and so I, yeah i think
1: yeah that's my answer <laughs> how <laughs> to <That's my> answer <laughs> yeah right um where where and how have you experienced those stabs of joy that that Lewis talks about and that sort of gets yeah. shape to surprise by joy. You
0: know, I, I've thought about that um, a bit and I I'm, I'm diff- well, I think uh so I'm a pastor's kid and I grew up hearing the story of the Bible and the story of Jesus and and heaven and all of these things i don't think i became a christian until 17 or 18 but a little bit different from lewis experiencing that emotion because i never had a question mark really after the desire came as to, as to where it might be coming from uh-huh. you know I, it wasn't like it, it, as frustrating maybe as it was to Lewis, it, yeah. it was really, you know, it was, a, it was a painful pleasure to him because of the um, the question mark afterwards and even talks about at the end of the book, you know, he, he, now that he has an answer to the question, where do you come from? They were like signposts to Jerusalem and he's on the road walking to Jerusalem and he doesn't stop and stare at the signposts anymore so much as he does just keeps going down the road. Mm-hmm. To Jerusalem, they're not as fascinating because now he knows where they're they're pointing to, and so. Um, but to answer the question, I think the Bible certainly has created that in me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, praying has I've experienced those kinds of longings, but also in in different stories i mean stories is really the answer I mean, whether the the story is coming through a book or a movie or or some kind of tv show and and you read a passage or or something happens in the story and you and you just the, the sense of man there's there's that's true that there is some kind of like grand Narrative that exists that this is a part of, yeah. that this is this is echoing and this is referencing or or as a, a hint of, kind of has gripped me. Yeah, at different moments, and I I think that's what really good art does. At least for me, that that might be one of the metrics of of whether or not you call something a favorite piece of art or not
1: yeah the you're saying that the fact that it that it awakens you to a bigger story than the story you thought you were
0: yeah exactly Mm -hmm. or or, yeah i mean it's not the only metric and certainly you can like something without maybe that being present but but Mm -hmm. and it can also come through and it, it did for lewis uh nature i think a lot of people have experienced that i mean just yeah
1: you know i was i was sitting on on my sister's porch one time and it, the sun was going down and it wasn't an, it wasn't a particularly spectacular sunset. It wasn't a particularly just for whatever. And, and I think I had not too much earlier read surprised by joy. And I was just sort of just uh, just sort of bowled over by this sense of, of, you know, again, that there's, there's more going on than, than, than meets the eye. Yeah. It's just such a, you know, Lewis talks about how these, stabs of joy kind of sneak up and they're not they're the kind of thing that if you you have to look at them sideways or they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna disappear on you right oh
0: yeah he, he talks about you know the moment that you start being introspective about what you're experiencing if you are experiencing something close to what he's talking about and you turn inward on yourself and mm-hmm. be like isn't that interesting I, then the experience is gone yeah. It's like yeah. you can't self-analyze it while it's happening.
1: And I think that's one of the most remarkable and I think that's one of the things that's really relevant to um you know in terms of art making with with regard to these ideas is that that you know as you said if, if you turn inward suddenly it's just it's just gone. <laughs> and, yeah. And these these moments of joy turn us outward. Um and and I like what you said. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this it, is this idea that that I am uh, it, ironically uh, the fact that I feel less like the center of the universe that's when I start feeling like okay now things are starting to make sense around here since I'm not the if if I'm the center of this whole thing <laughs> this can't mean a whole lot but but when you're struck right. the notion that that you're not at the center
0: nobody goes to the grand canyon to feel self important <laughs> <laughs> yeah right they go there cuz they they're they're grabbed by the uh, how small they are in comparison with this great big thing. And yeah. how and, you know how, how beautiful it is. So
1: I've never seen the Grand Canyon, but I've heard. It's, amazing. it's yeah, it's amazing. And and no pictures.
0: Do it justice.
1: Work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you get there and you think. Or, or what happens is you drive to the Grand Canyon and you see you see other canyons that are the most fabulous thing you've ever seen. And you think, oh, that must be what the Grand Canyon's like. And, like, if it had been – if these canyons had been anywhere but, you know, 10 miles from the Grand Canyon, they'd be like a national wonder. But instead, they – I don't know if they have a name, you know. And then you go, go, oh, okay, now I see. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's – I, I was starting. I, I was talking about you know being on my sister's porch and having this moment, this sort of stab of sense and it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it wasn't okay. Now that's the best sunset I've ever seen. It was just a. It was just a kind of a sunset, and and for whatever reason, it just it it this uh, this inconsolable longing just snuck up on me, and I've, I've, and, always, I've always remembered that.
0: Yeah, and and in his book, uh, he all of the kind of channels that they, they come through seeming are seemingly pretty small and insignificant. I mean, one of the first ones is his brother brings in a toy toy uh, (laughs) garden in a biscuit tent and that somehow does it ducks flying (laughs) through the air have done it. The idea of autumn he talks about just random. uh, It just, yeah. So it's, it can be like a really small, small, um, Occurrence, but I basically this album is is holding that up. um I don't know the the metaphor is like it like a diamond, and just kind of turning it around and 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 examining it from from different angles. And so, in some ways, it it feels like all the same song, and in some ways, it feels like really, really um, diverse, and and so. It it's a singular idea album. So, yeah. which, yeah.
1: I, I know we've talked before about, you know, you, you having some, uh, you've suffered from writer's block. I know with your, with your previous record, the She Waits record, I think you had about two and a half songs written when you went into the studio. That's right. Nightmare. Uh, did, did, uh, was this one easier to write it or did it come more quickly? You know what?
0: I'm currently suffering from writer's block again, and I'm not even sure that that exists. You know what I think exists? Deadlines. Uh-huh. And I don't have any deadlines. Uh-huh. And I noticed that even though, I had, even though I, had, I had made a really good effort on writing a lot of this album before we got into the studio, and, and I had most of it done with about three weeks to go, there were still a few songs that I hadn't finished and uh, a couple of songs that I hadn't even started and two or three of the songs unexpectedly just came in a, in a very not normal way where it was just a few hours mm-hmm. and the song was done. I mean, it's not like from scratch, but you know, I had had this idea, I had tried it out, but I think something about the urgency of knowing, Hey, in next week, I won't have any time to be writing Mm -hmm. and this needs to be done or else. So I don't, I don't know if that played into the, the quickness of the songs because that pressure was there. And even more before I went into the studio with she waits only having two and a half songs done.
1: Yeah.
0: I was trying and trying and trying to, to write and, and the lyrics weren't coming. So maybe this time around it, it just worked, but I have found since then I've not been able to write a song since over a year ago. Oh, okay. And, um, it's not, not that I don't have ideas. I always have songs in my head and I'm always recording ideas onto my phone, but I was really discouraged about two months ago. I was gonna sit down, and I spent about three or four hours a day for—I don't know—more than a week trying to write a song. and Just saying, hey, I'm just gonna show up. I'm gonna—I I'm gonna sit down and write, and it was so discouraging because it was just—it was—I basically got nowhere. Yeah. And then our baby, or, uh, our our uh, son was born, uh-huh. And you know that that kind of threw everything out of whack. But mm-hmm. I, I really thought, you know, if I just sit here, probably I'll just, stuff will happen. And that didn't work. So, it, but I think it, it probably just needs more time. And, mm-hmm. and um, but it's really hard in a certain sense when when you're a, a small business owner, which is basically what what we are, Uh, being being a band and independent and everything. It's really hard to sit there and write for three hours, or quote-unquote write for three hours when you have a a mountain of other things that you need to do administratively, and so many things that after having done it, you will be able to show, look, I I did something. yeah. Whereas at the end of a three-hour try to write something and you have nothing to show, it it can be pretty disheartening. Yeah. So I, I have wondered, maybe I just, I have all these ideas. I have so many ideas for songs. I have so many first verses and, or choruses. And maybe I just need to get people in here to, to collaborate with, mm-hmm. but man, every time I've done that, it's been crash and burn. Really? Basically. Yeah. I'm not a good co-writer because uh-huh. I can't, I'm not quick. Uh-huh. I can't think of things on the spot and jam with people. I'm like oh what what if it was this line or this line i i don't feel like i have yet developed that skill set and i'm uh i think a perfectionist mindset writer which is kind of a torture when you're when you're trying to write something i was listening to a podcast with uh, who wrote bird by bird is it um, she was on a podcast recently and I, I read part of that book, but and several authors that are, I like echoed this idea that you just need to you just need to to sit down and write something bad, mm-hmm. a bad version of this song, and then you go back and edit, and you you make it better. But the here here the, my only beef with that for what I do is that the bad lyric that I start with will inform the direction of the lyric directly after. And if Uh that's, if that's bad, then I'm, I'm chasing down. It's like you building off of a foundation the way I view it. And this is, I know this is wrong as I'm saying, so don't, (laughs) don't, don't listen or hear this and be like, I should do this. I just think it's really hard for me to move on. To something else and say, you know what? I'm going to solve that problem later because I got to. I just, for momentum's sake, I got to keep going. I have find it really hard to move on from some from something that I know is bad.
1: Or, but is, but is that? I mean, is that a matter of you being unwilling to throw throw away bad work? You know what I'm saying? Is, is it like you? I mean, the the, the corollary of you know, write bad drafts is and then be willing to throw away most of what you do
0: i don't think it's enough willingness to throw it away i view it i see what i haven't gotten to yet is that this is a good use of time to or this is efficient you know to, to clearly it's not the way i do it but the yeah that there's something i mean it's co-writing with somebody who's who does this day in day out that's their job is there a label writer and he was writing with me. He's like, "You're one one of these tortured writers that just bangs their head on the piano until they come up with a line that they can stomach before moving on to the next line." And that's the most painful way to write songs. And yeah. that, that's what I'm, what I'm trapped in. And this plays itself out not only in writing songs, I think, but in anything. I, if I can't do something to the absolute best that I think I'm capable of doing it, whatever in actuality, you know, level of excellence, excellence that is, that's all relative. But if, unless I feel like I've met my potential and what I can do on this, I cannot move on to, and it's really dumb because it's very prohibitive. Yeah. From a social media post to a, yeah, uh, what? What to a song to the production to to everything there's this
1: yeah i mean i think on a social media post that's it's it's wise to be a bit of a perfectionist
0: yeah maybe because
1: yeah. those i mean you know that go, there's that no goes first out. draft of well, that's of a true media post. that's true um so my solution is to not post anything on social media <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other yeah, right.
0: conversation. The 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 relationship between being human and interacting in a digital Babylon or world basically is is a weird.
1: But I, I don't thing. I don't see how you're going to. I mean, if, 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 by now you've been doing this for a pretty good while, but but I don't that it seems like to be hard for you to keep up. It is, man. Well, for years and years. And let me just say this. I, there, I remember there was a time in, I mean, early in my writing career, it was all about I was motivated by fear and dread and the deadlines would come and you know, I would sit around and not do anything until the deadline came and then I would knock it out. And then you know, I reached a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And the deadlines came, the deadlines went, and I just missed them. And, and I had to kind of, kind of decide, am I going to find some other way to produce besides – you know, waking up with fear and self-loathing and then I'll produce because the pain of not writing is greater than the pain of writing. You know, that, that was my mode for a long time. And then I reached a point where I had to say, I can't live this way. I'm either going s- to just quit writing or, or find some way to write out of joy. And I did quit for a while.
0: And I'm sure you've told this story on your podcast before, but what got you back?
1: Um, it, it, what there, so the, I would say a couple of things, I, I started getting letters from people who were, who would say, "Hey, I, I kind of need this book, you know, I, I've been waiting for this book and, and it's something that I, that I need. And it's sort of, it's an sort of, editor or like, no, a, no, no, a reader, a reader. Okay. And, and so it's a person who sort of helped me get out of the 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 spiral of the, this with, this was sort of my personal tragedy <laughs> you know this yeah. this writer's block was my personal tragedy and instead for reasons that I don't understand people need what I do and, yeah. and again we were talking before about the introspection the joy pulls you out of introspection and um and that was a, that was a big part of it and and but also just you know my book the Charleston's boy The fact that it, I felt like that was just as as good as I could write, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I love that book. I was so proud of it. And nobody, nobody read it. Nobody bought it. I mean, you know, not very many people. And um, what did you do with that?
0: Because, okay, this is selfish. I mean, I'm asking new questions now. I I really am curious. What do you do? Because I have this fear with this album. Yeah. It's just like, uh, uh, I'm not sure how grounded it is. It's like, okay, this was very niche. Mm -hmm. I knew that when I went to, it's like, this is a niche type of project. It's not mass media. Right. You know, to, to, to go into this one experience that, uh, however famous the author was, it's, it's pretty, it's not for everybody. And, but it was what, it was inspiring to me Uh at the time that it was what got me writing. And, but, you know, I wonder about people yeah. that have been in your position. What, what do yeah. you do with the, that? The
1: commercial failure of that book, which felt like my best chance of, you know, ever having anything resembling commercial success. Right. And the way I, I'll spare you the details. I mean, the, 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 anyway, yeah, the um, but I had, I had to come to terms with the idea that, if I wrote something I'm proud of and and the people I love like it, why is it that I need to be loved by people I don't know? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, at that point, when I put it in those terms, why is it so important to me that people I don't even know like me? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I had to say, is it going to be enough that I just do work that I'm proud of and that people, people I know and love like, and if that's, if that's not, I need to get in another business. And, um, and sort of letting go of that was a, was a, was a huge help you know, and did not lead to further commercial success. Right? So, so the, the moral of the story is not, I let it go and look what happened. Now, <laughs> now yeah. I write books that people buy. Yeah. You know, that's not how that story went. It was like, it, it, am I going to be a healthy person? Um, if I continue to, to approach my work this way, I, I can't be the kind of person I want to be. Now, was that a moment for you or was that a gradual process? It was i mean, I guess at the time it felt like a gradual process, looking back, it feels more like a moment, yeah um yeah it it was it was a um it was pretty quick i mean i, I kind of I kind of looked around and said i can't keep I can't keep living this way I felt very
0: similarly though it, it there's never been a moment where like I've made that that statement to myself in my head of get it, it you can't operate in this framework or, you know, maybe a variation of what you're talking about. Therefore get out of the business and do something else or be content with, you know, X, Y, Z, or, or, something similar to what you're talking about. And, and it almost feels like a story you need to keep telling yourself. Can't be Mm -hmm. like a, yeah, sure. A a one and done. It's almost like, almost like the gospel story. You you gotta remember, you gotta remember it and remind yourself and yeah. there has to be some kind of liturgical outplay or, you know, um, in, involvement in that mindset in order for it to continually, you know, sink in and shape you and mold you. And, and, and eventually you just become the kind of person that operates from a kind of a, a gospel framework. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe in a similar way, this story that you're talking about and, you know, something I need to, you know, grasp more is is just a finding ways to live that whatever liturgy that is or whatever whatever ways help you embody that mindset you know could help you believe it more because the the intellectual ascent is the the intellectual ascent is the easy part of that Mm -hmm. equation i mean it's just like of course i can't live like in this space of needing praise and approval of of others to justify what i do especially people i don't know and it's so easy to be i mean everybody in a in a conference room meeting would raise their hand and be like yeah i agree to that yeah right but the actual feltness of that is is way harder to achieve i think um and so so far, I, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job of that, you know I, I, I some days I'm like I feel great, you know, just just like I do, again, tying it to the gospel, it's like sometimes I'm like, yeah, like I feel that this is this is true, I feel the effects of this, and in and, and other days, it's like, man, I'm not living like this is true at all." And yeah. so um so yeah that that is my dilemma, moving beyond the intellectual, yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. To be like, yeah, I act like that's true, and um, that's the hard part for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I taking a, I mean, a a real break and going back to teaching and not even, you know, I I just had to reach a point where I'm going to separate my creative life from the providing for the family Mm -hmm. life for for a while, and and then you know uh, that. And and also I had to say, if somebody told me, you know, if somebody told, you know, 20 something year old, Jonathan, that someday you will, you'll publish seven books that you're proud of. Would that be good enough? And I'd say, yeah, actually, that, I would have been thrilled at, in my twenties to, to, that, that was, you know, if that was what was ahead of me yeah. and when you're in the middle of it and, you know, and you've, I don't know how many record, what about six, six albums? This is know? the fifth one. Yeah. This is the fifth one. And, you know, 20 something Dave Radford would have been thrilled to hear he was going to put out six albums he was proud of. But when you're, from where you sit now, it feels like, gosh, is my career over? Am I ever going to write another song? And you you think, you know, and, and for me, for whatever reason, that perspective of saying I would have been thrilled if, if this is the end of my, if this is the last book ever published. Okay. You know, that, that made a, that made a difference for me. You know, I don't know. You, you made it.
0: Yeah. I, and, and, and I, I totally agree with that. I mean, if I was 20 years old and and looked at where we are now, I'd be like, Hey, you know, get your head up. That's great. You know, this is, this is going well. So it's, I feel like it's the, the, I don't know, sinking sand, uh, sand trap or, you know, in those stories, like princess bride, you know they they fall down into the, the quicksand and wet in the quicksand quicksand thank you um and i feel like it's a story that everybody is is told like when you're starting out you know th- there's a trap out there and it's right there <laughs> it's it, there's cones around it <laughs> of <laughs> you're going to you're going to achieve xyz and feel like you haven't, or dissatisfied, or you're going to compare yourself to others, or or don't do this. Don't wander <laughs> over here, or you will fall in this quicksand trap. Yeah, right. And then somehow everybody makes their way over to it, just to kind of inspect it and see, and you know what, you know, take a picture with it, and and kind of get close. And then they're in the sand, and they're in the quicksand. I feel like, yeah, everybody at 20 years old looking out at their at their unknown future and say, if I could get here, when that would be enough. And then you get there and it's not. Yeah. And you're like, dang, I'm, I'm, I'm in the quicksand. So, um, yeah. Uh, I don't think I got us anywhere with that, but that, that
1: was <laughs> that's That's uh, that's funny, this idea of the quicksand, having the, the pylons around it, and you still yeah. just walk to walk. You just right wander over it. to it. <laughs> and you just... <laughs> Just fall right into it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the same thing as people saying, you know, money won't make you happy. You're like, you know, I wouldn't mind just trying to <laughs> see if maybe it would. That's just, a good comparison. <laughs> money. It's like, if I had this much, surely
0: yeah. I would feel more secure or safe or whatever. You get that much and you're like, man, I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, all right, we got to wrap this thing up. Yeah.
0: Thank I you so much.
1: The question. And I didn't warn you, so if you're about to be on. Actually, you've got, a, right. you've got an easy answer. Okay, your first answer is easy. Um, who are the writers who make you want to write? You can legitimately fall straight back. <sighs> okay, on you,
0: right C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I got to say that number one. Um, uh, I will say a different author for a completely separate reason, and um, I'm not sure if you've read his books. Brandon Sanderson. He is not, the author I, of I the. Him. Yeah, he, he's the author of the Stormlight Archive first book there is the way of Kings might be his best book, but I follow him on YouTube and the, the day in day out, he posts a weekly update and the day in day out Ness of that guy's output. And I mean, he he does eight hours a day, one, four hour session, 12 to four, another from 10 to two at night. And he, wow. he posts his par- progress bar on what he's, I mean, the guy is an absolute machine as far as his productivity and output, but, but he's a writer that has revealed a lot of his process and has made me, uh, including the, the bad first draft uh-huh. kind of insight. And that has really inspired me to, you know, j- just from the daily grind of it all. And and being a fly on the wall of somebody's process like that has been really inspiring as well. His prose isn't like Lewis's or somebody that writes in a beautiful way that kind of grips you, but his stories are are pretty
1: cool. Um, is he part? Does he have that uh, part of that group podcast about writing called uh, Writing Excuses or something? Yes, like that? that's that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so check out his YouTube. I've I've heard about that. Yeah, I've never he, he's great. It.
0: I mean, he, he during COVID uh, lockdowns, he did a live signing session where he would sign his books and, and do like two to four hours of, of Q and a, and you, you get a lot of insight into mm-hmm. kind of his process. And I, I think he has really good thoughts about that. So, um, yeah, th- that would be my right answer for now. All right. Well, Dave,
1: thanks so much for having well, me on. Uh, thank you. Appreciate and, it. and, uh, so happy about th- this new baby and uh wish lisha, lisha could have been here but she, yeah he's uh I don't know, she's on a doctor's appointment want with baby yes stuff. true well, um, hey
0: so I so this, like the this album.
1: record when this when this uh releases most of the songs will be on available um, on spotify and yeah. the actual uh, album releases uh in early october so, that's right great cool thank you so much all right
0: This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for Season 3 of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor
1: and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.